Artcast, your weekly podcast for insight into the articles to read, decks to play at FNM, cards to buy and sell, and insight from Robert Martin and Channel Fireball's own Tristan Sean Gregson. It's time for Hardcast. Hey everyone and welcome to the Hardcast. Just on the eve of April Fool's Day. Unfortunately, we don't have any good jokes for today. All I have is Robert Martin. Are you there, Robert? I am here. Uh, it seems like almost every week on Channel Fireball is a, a good week or a full week. Uh, your list that I'm looking at here of stuff to cover seems about the huge for us. Quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of stuff. Although, you know, we did forget last week to mention a couple new team members for Team Fireball since we had the, uh, the quick spot there with Paul Reitzel. We've got, oh, you know what, you know what, I'm gonna leave this to Robert. Robert, who do we have? We have Uitawananabe and Matt Sperling joining the team and one of those two players this weekend did quite well at the Star City Games event. Uh, I'm going to assume that was Matt Sperling. Yes, correct. How, how, in what event and how did he finish? Standard, and he almost cracked the top eight had he won his final match that was on GT's live coverage. Or sorry, uh, live coverage. I, I, I missed it. I was sadly working a PTQ, but uh, that sounds awesome. Uh, speaking of the SCGC Open in L.A., it seems like it would be littered with players we know, uh, and that was kind of the fall. Well, I wouldn't say littered, but there were definitely some uh, some people there. Let's see. What, what do you have? Yes, our own Josh Silvestri managed to the top eight uh, in the standard portion. Did he make it to the semis, or did he lose in the quarters? He lost in the quarters. Blue, white, with black, I'm guessing? I don't know, actually. He did that, but we ran with his deck that made it really cool. Is People are starting to see this now, that Baneslayers seem to be the answer for Cawblade. And he runs, I call it the Caw Mortarpod deck, because he has Mortarpod in it, and two Baneslayers. But what he suggests is using, day of, instead of playing Day of Judgment, putting Condemn in the deck because of the matchups. And he actually, ironically, uses Spreading Seas in the sideboard for both Balakut and the Mirror Match. Uh, yeah, we've actually been seeing that a lot more with um, the Cobblade decks branching into a third color. You can definitely punish their mana bases that way. And additionally, the the inclusion or the non-inclusions of uh, Day of Judgment is, is a big point of debate. You know, when Luis was first flirting with putting red in the deck as the third color, he was quick to cut the Day of Judgments in, in exchange for spot removal saying that, you know, like, the board is obviously going to be kind of gummed up with creatures on both sides uh, if you're playing a, a mirror match variant. And having advantage by leaving your own guys in play is a huge deal. So I'd be interested to see if that means, you know, maybe the Valakut decks can have a slight edge considering their Titans aren't necessarily going to be uh, Day of Judgmented anymore and they might be able to attack with them before the blue-white player has a chance to condemn them. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out in the near future. Uh, another shout-out I'd like to give to Chell Fireball's own... Tim Froling, he made it to the top 16 in the legacy, legacy portion with uh, the dredge deck that seems to be always always at his side. It's uh, something he goldfishes at the office all the time. And uh, dredge, dredge is never dead, is kind of how it feels. But he wasn't the... Uh, he was, uh, Actually, Tim joked when I talked to him about it. He was like, you know, it's just the extended deck I was playing four years ago with, with uh, Underground Seas instead of uh, watery graves. He's like, there's no real technology that's new there. It's kind of the same concept he's been playing for a while. And I kind of joked. I was like, well, that's that's cute. Ironically, though, Dredge also top eight of the event. He played a mirror match against somebody that ended up making the top eight of the of the event as well. You know, I think what's interesting to me is that uh, with the legacy format, you it definitely you almost find like deck popularity per region. And as you don't see a, a lot of uh, larger events results from the California area, I, I think Dredge is. Uh, much more representative in, in that state, in that region, than you're going to find in a lot of other places that have legacy results more often. So it would be interesting, you know, hopefully if uh, legacy, there are larger tournaments more often on a larger scale, maybe maybe instead of just more of a, a regional um, metagames, you'll, you'll kind of see them start to crossbreed. Does this, I mean, does this mean that players looking towards uh, more SCG Opens in the near future and then moving towards Providence are going to be, you know, oh, Dredge is, is on the radar or not. I think that's, uh, you know, questions like that, not just that particular question, are things you kind of have to think about um, for that format and its uh, its greater implications for, uh, like, decks like Dredge on it. What you're seeing to get in Legacy is, like, amazing amounts of 
different decks. Like, I think the top eight was, I don't think there was uh, a dual deck in the top eight. I think every deck was unique, which is giving Legacy quite the wide open field uh, feel, especially coming up with, like you said, the GP coming up in a couple of months. That's always the goal for the format, is that uh, you can, in theory, t- t- take kind of pick your, your favorite thing or take your favorite deck of, of Magic of Old and make it competitive for this format. And obviously, uh, Tim did that and, uh, again, was excited for him. My one last shout-out goes to uh, Sam Party. He's uh, actually from Berkeley, but he's a UCSC kid that uh, I've known for a while. He top-aided the standard event as well. Uh, I like to think Sam's game has come a long way. I remember when we went to uh, PT San Diego last year, he was trying to run an extended deck with uh, Crucible of Worlds, and I was like, I don't think that's at all competitive right now. So I'm glad to see Sam. Sam's really stepped up his game. He's uh, a force to be reckoned with in the California area, and congratulations on his top eight and his hilarious top eight player profile. Um, usually I don't even look by those, but I was uh, it definitely uh, humored me when I stopped by his. So congratulations, Sam. Well, we also have, uh, speaking of blue-white and blue-white-black decks, this week on why you should play blue, white, and extended, and then the call blade version with black are the decks to play. The key in his extended deck, which you know I haven't seen played a lot, is Mutavault. I don't see as many as I used to see, and he has Mutavault and he has Mirren Crusader in there. Yes, I, d- I definitely think that Mutavault is a card that should be seeing plenty of play in extended. Uh, I don't think there's really a deck that. I mean, you know, a, a creature-based deck that couldn't really play this card. Obviously, the blue-white decks will get the most out of it when you can Stoneforge for your sword, and then your lands can then attack with it much easier than standard. Uh, again, like, for me, playing standard, Ink Moth Nexus is a completely viable option to get sword online, and Mutavault is almost better in every way, aside from the fact that it doesn't have flying. Uh, actually, a, a version that's been going around recently that won the PTQ that I was at last weekend was a blue-white deck that played... Just Spellsetter, Sprite, Vendillion, Click, Mutavault. Uh, obviously, there's not a whole lot of overlay and interactions there. I mean, you get a little bit more value out of your Spellsetter Sprite, but you're getting more flash, uh, cheap answers to be able to attack with your sword. So in a way, all of a sudden, you're, you're building more of a sword and feast and famine deck. So to me, it seems like Mutavault is kind of an auto-include for any of those creature decks that want to use kind of the Stoneforge Mystic sort of feast and famine package. What do you think about the Mirren Crusader? It seems a bit excessive. Uh, there are obviously decks that it, it more or less blows out. It's pretty darn good against fairies, but I don't think you kind of need that extra firepower. Um, it can be good in mirror matches. It can also be chump-blocked in mirror matches. It's one of those things where it's like if it, if it connects once, especially with a sword, it, or, or definitely with a sword, I, I mean, you're, you're going to get to an endgame pretty fast. Um, either with the blue-green one taking 20 cards off and putting two more threats into play, or even just making your opponent discard two cards and cracking them for eight is pretty impressive. So I'd be interested to see, you know, it was one of those cards, Mirror Crusader and Extended seemed like it was a breakout four weeks to six weeks ago when Fairies was around a lot more, uh, and you could really just kind of go right through them with that card. But now I think there are a lot more creature-based decks and a lot more of just this guy running into stuff. Obviously, if the battlefield is empty, he ends the game real fast, but I don't think that's uh, that's necessarily the case. I think the one nice thing you'll get about this article, especially with Standard, is that the deck lists you know, are looking pretty normal, but he explains of which cards to move in and out versus each matchup, and that's uh, valuable information when it comes to playing any deck. Uh, you know, I always say on this show that... Uh, you know, you could pick up a deck list from anywhere, but a lot of reasons to read articles from people is to understand the thought process between sideboard choices and sideboard options, and it can really go a long way. I've definitely seen a lot of people show up to events with, you know, strong lists or, you know, decks that I, like 75 cards that I would probably play, but they just, you know, they don't know what to sideboard, how to sideboard, and they get lost and they make, you know, weird quote-unquote decisions that don't always lead to victory, and so kind of having that uh, that battle plan mapped out really goes a long way. This week's best pack one pick one that I've seen in a long time. Uh, Webb ran a blue-black control deck to multiple wins. This was his pack one pick one options. Tezzeret, Go for the Throat, Phyrexian Vatmother. It's hard to not take Tezzeret. Um, although I think you can 
make an argument for any one of those three of those cards, and I think that's the best, you know, like, that's what makes it so good. Um, you know, obviously, I, I think on this podcast we've talked about how drafts in the past, players have seen pick one, pack one, vet mother, and passed it, and why, or what's the upside of taking it. Obviously, with Tezzeret, you're not only moving into two colors, but you're moving into an archetype uh, right off the bat, which, you know, could be a bit committal. And then you have, obviously, Go for the Throw, which is kind of the catch-all to both those things. Although it's still a, an artifact-based format, so there are times where it's just not the, the Path to Exile-esque card that you want it to be. So, uh, you know, my pick, obviously, would be financial. Would be go ahead and take Tezzeret. As, as much as it kind of pin, pin, pigeonholes you into one thing, you have the best possible card to go with that strategy. That moment when you open that pack and go... I think most players would. I don't think anyone's going to complain anytime they open a pack with a Tezzeret in it, uh, regardless of their dra- whether or not they're drafting. Also this week, we had... Uh, Want to know what happens when your passion for magic moves into all facets of your life? Adam's article this week goes into it. talks about how even the early morning through work and even at night, how the power of magic can get to anyone. It talks talks about wanting to get on Twitter early in the morning to check stuff. This phenomenon of magic can make any player just, it can become consuming to them. You know, a a great kind of uh, anecdotal story to that is we got an email from a guy who is a newscaster, and I forgot what state he's in, but he does reports where he always tries to slip in um, magic card references, as he said, as well as you know, like card names, and then he went on to list like the various things that he was able to just kind of casually slip into uh, conversation or segments uh, in in the news, and that made me crack up a whole lot. I was like, you know, how far can you really stretch it? And, and he's definitely talked about how the his bosses at the at the the station were very very confused about things he said, and uh, that made me laugh a lot. I would maybe wish I lived in that county. This week, speaking of more articles that discuss what magic does or can do for you. Kyle this week discusses how magic, the choices of magic and reality can come together. Had He refers to Kai's interview by Paolo to show how the balance of life and magic comes together and how connected, how being connected in magic can make your outside life choices grow. Referring to how the MTG mom has made herself more noticed through t- by Twitter and by showing up at the events and how networking and stuff like that can work for you. And this is an article that basically explains how you can use magic to get more out of your own life and what it can do for you. You know, it's, it's hard to come from my perspective because it's, you know, it's my industry. So all of these things make sense. Like, you know, obviously you would use Twitter and obviously you'd want to be in these arenas and use them as uh, these outlets. So it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, if I had a different kind of job, how much could I really get out of it? And it's surprising to think. I mean, obviously Megan has been able to... Megan Holland, for those that aren't familiar, the mtgmom.com, the kind of the catch-all uh, tournament spot. If you ever are having an argument with a friend where it's like, no, we got to go out and do this this weekend. No, there's a PTQ. You can you can solve that argument real fast by heading to her website. Incredible, the, the kind of things you can accomplish through, especially Twitter. I mean... I am not the biggest fan of it, but all the time I, I see relationships blossom, arguments turn into lengthy discussions, and then back into arguments. You know, deck ideas, uh, card evaluations, card values, everything goes everything goes through that. So it's one of those things you, you really want to be connected to at this at this point of the game. It seems like. Well, absolutely. You think about some of the people that have status and magic has grown through that. Also, you t- you could have someone have a conversation with a pro about a deck and get involved in the conversation and all suddenly it becomes two, three, four people adding on to it and all suddenly you'll see the tweet that'll show you know, this person, this person, this person this is why this card doesn't work. It becomes this kind of conversation that sometimes can go on for hours and hours at a time. And I, and I know you you yourself, you're very diligent with your tweet deck. Making yes. sure you, you, you stay current with everybody that's buzzing stuff around. I kind of have to, based on, you know, what we do and trying to get the, you know, show organized and get as much information as I can out there. You really have to. You have to be tuned into what everybody's thinking and what's happening. So, for me, it's a very useful tool. It's helped well, me. Robert, you are my ear to the ground. Without you, I would... See, I, I'm just the guy that posts to Twitter that I can't believe 
I watched a two-minute segment on MSN today about credit card, or sorry, ATM fees. Uh, I was I was blown away that people don't realize that you don't get charged if you go to your own bank, and what the what the vice versa is if you don't. <laughs> that 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 was not only three minutes of my time, but another 30, 30 seconds of me tweeting it, which unfortunately was not ma- at all magic related. But I swear the rest of my tweets during the rest of the day were, and I'm sure you read all of those, and they which, were not at all interesting. Quick tangent: I will say I chose to put uh, some of my money that I would need access to wherever I was in the world into Bank of America because I knew that they have ATM machines seemingly everywhere, and I knew that I could use them as a customer for free. I and mean, alternatively, one of my old roommates. Doesn't care. He walks up to an ATM, any ATM machine. He's like, "Oh man, we need money to go to the bar." I was like, "Oh man, it's gonna cost you four bucks." Oh, whatever. And uh, that's how he lives his life. I just, I, I was surprised. That's all. That's all. How to deal with Cawblade? You can learn by going back in the time to see how people dealt with Jitte. How it stopped. It could be the key to killing the flying menace from Alexander. Another article that writes about Baneslayer being the key to stop Cawblade. And that what his version is, is a white-green aggro list, which I've seen out there a lot lately with Vengevine, Baneslayers, just more ways to put out bigger and bigger threats. And he really stresses how powerful Vengevine is against this format, especially Vengevine with a sword on it. Well, you know, uh, we just talked about a lot of these decks cutting their day of judgments. And obviously, Baneslayer Angel is one of those cards that keeps those decks in check if you're going to do that. And Vengevine goes right back around it. Obviously, in either variety, with or without the Day of Judgments, Vengevine is that reoccurring threat. It's that kind of, you know, in, in a way, it's kind of like where, you know, Extended has the Mutavolt and the instant speed creatures in order to make sure you always have a threat to apply to your sword so it doesn't just sit there seemingly lifeless. Vengevine works a very similar way in Standard where, you know, out of nowhere at any point in time, you have that hasty guy that can get a sword back. Or he doesn't even, you know, like, this card is... Powerful enough, it doesn't even necessarily need a sword to finish the game very quickly. So, again, we're looking at more, more kind of interesting, uh, you know, choices going back and forth among each other, uh, creating that rock, paper, scissors metagame heading into Dallas, where you really get to see wh- which of these options is the best. Ben Stark this week walks you through his PTQ deck and why it works and how it can help you win it extended. Uh, he ran Valakut at uh, GP Atlanta and finished in the top eight with it. Mm-hmm. And he explains why it still works, uh, some changes to the sideboard that he made, and why certain cards are in and certain cards out are not in. Basically, a lot of people suggest, well, the Valakut deck needs to run X, Y, and Z, and he explains why the cards that most people suggest would be in the deck and why they're not in. And he suggests Valakut's the answer. As much as Mr. Stark is currently in the minority, it's it's just nice to have a breath of fresh air in the extended format. I'm so tired of hearing about Stormforge Mystic everywhere that uh, I'm actually happy to hear about decks that play Valakut, which is not something I've really been in the mood for in a while. So, you know, with the season winding down with very few opportunities to play, it might be time to make a call back to the bullpen and call back the deck that was kind of there right at the beginning, a Valakut variant. And if I was going to play one, it'd definitely be a, a Ben Stark list. Our newest addition, Matt Sperling, writes about how his standard deck at Star City Games Los Angeles works so well and how it's sideboarded versus specific matchups. The one thing that he writes about was that the brew literally came together at the last minute. And the card I like in there because of the fact that it is such a heavy creature thing is he's running Bonehorde in the main deck. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. That just seems like a real powerful card with the amount of creatures that end up in the graveyard. And then the one thing he suggests in there, which I thought was real interesting until I realized what the sideboarding was, is against the Cawblade deck, he recommends removing all the equipment to make their artifact removal cards dead cards in their hand. It's um, it's it's a strategy that I, I've heard definitely several times. Um, and it's, it's kind of an, an old age kind of school of thought maneuver where it's like, well, you know, if this is my my powerful strategy in my deck and my opponent's going to bring in four, six, eight, you know, who knows how many cards specifically narrowly targeted that one thing, well, then I'll just change modes and make a whole bunch of their cards dead and, and win in a different fashion. I'm not familiar with the list he's running or the changes he advocates, but that is definitely a strong maneuver. Historically, endorse this plan, and I'm very excited to see what a list would look like where that's what you're going to capitalize on. Even though the price of legacy prices keep going up and up and up, and why do invest it is good, 
and even the seven nightmare scenarios are addressed this week in Chaz's article. God, I have such a bias. I mean, every every week I try to pick like one of these that I'm actually going to go back and read and take a look at, and it always seems like Chaz is the guy I want to go back to. And, and yeah, again, like I'm so financial geared, but I'm, I was I want to know what are the what are the seven worst things that could happen to Legacy and, you, and your Magic cards? Yeah, well, the thing about it is, is he talks about, debunks all the nightmare scenarios of Magic and proves again, while even though the price of Legacy is skyrocketing, it's a good time to invest into it. Basically, well, it's a bad economy, and that'll hurt buying Magic Legacy cards. Well, we've proven that even in a down economy right now, the price of Legacy is just skyrocketing. And... <laughs> And even Escapism if you, is what you need, apparently. Yeah, and even with, let's just say this continues on for a little longer, people are still going to be, Magic players are still going to be investing heavy in Legacy, and they're just, there aren't, the new cards out there cannot replace the old ones. So there's no cycle for it to go through that you can say, oh, I can bring in this from Standard and put it in my Legacy deck. doesn't really happen too often. The article that I would like to joke about as being the article of the week, Apollo answering the tough questions, including members of Team Fireball, the best question asked was by Martin Chusa, which is, what would it take to play a white weenie deck? What do you think Apollo's answer was? For Apollo to play one personally? Or yes. for, I don't know, and I'm very excited to, to hear. He said a lobotomy. <laughs> That would be very hard to cast. I think I think I understand where the problem was coming from. But he answered questions from LSV and Owen and some regular list or regular people that he put out there on Twitter to say, "Hey, I'm looking for thoughts." And he also put it on Facebook. Yeah, questions. more of those more of those social media outlets that we were talking about earlier. Yes, he is back again. Do you need to learn how to invest in magic cards? And, and how to build a competitive deck, a standard deck for under $100. Brian's oh, article. <laughs> Sorry. Always. Brian's article tells you how. And his suggestion, which is not surprising, is he's suggesting goblins. As uh, a, you know, it, seemed, it seemed obvious, but I was interested to know. You know, As much as those uh, students of warfare and knight exemplars seem to keep dipping in value, I, I would assume little red men are usually the way to go. And considering right now until that... Little red and white sword comes out. Little red people aren't so bad to block. No, I think that the uh, the goblins deck is probably going to be the one of the few decks that doesn't you know heeds no concern to uh, the, the the pro red pro white sword. I think that a lot of other decks are going to kind of wake up and make changes according to that new card that isn't even out yet. But I think goblins is going to be fast enough. Shouldn't be an issue. Shouldn't be an issue. We have a product preview this week. We do. We have uh, Knights vs. Dragons in hand. It's out of the box. It is released, I'm sure, by the time you guys are listening to this. Um, the big question with a lot of these products is, do I pick it up or do I pass on it? Um, for me, you know, just looking purely at the cards, it was kind of a, a close call whether or not this was a product to that would be fun to play or a product that would be fun just to have or is actually a, you know, a good fiscal buy, like uh, Elspeth versus Tezzeret, which was such a great breakdown. It's like you should get as many of those things as you can because the value is inside the box. This one was pretty close. It seemed like playability was going to be pretty rough for this deck. Uh, knights are on the ground. Dragons are in the sky. Not a whole lot of interaction there. I think for those of you that remember playing Magic in its infancy, if the creatures flew and the other creatures didn't and creature combat was a thing you did, it wasn't very exciting. So it seemed like on the surface, a lot of this dual deck wasn't going to be very, very interesting. Uh, in many ways, I think artwork actually kind of saved my interest level in this product. If you take out, check out the new pieces of artwork for Silver Knight, Punishing Fire, even Seething Song looks really cool. And I didn't think that was really a card that I would be very interested in, even what the artwork would look like. But I was really surprised at how much I was engaged by these things and how much I was interested in playing with them. As of right now, I haven't really bashed the two of them together. And for the majority of dual decks, they usually play really well with each other. And I think that's one of the things for me that I really like about the product, is that if you just, you know, pick one of these things up, especially uh, like on our site where it's under under MSRP, they're just fun to play. It's fun to, to kind of like with your friend be like, all right, between rounds, let's just let's just battle this. What is the price? Definitely, I believe, you know what? 
everything changes. Let me jump over to the site as we're having this conversation and find out. I'm pretty sure it's 19.99, depending on how many we get. We may go up or down. Hopefully down, assuming we got as many as we wanted to. Yeah, there you go. Still 19.99, and you get that $10 night of the reliquary right out of the out of the gate. So there's a lot of your value right back. You also get Juniper Order Ranger in this box set, which. I don't know about our listeners. That's a hard card to find, and the casual kids just eat it right up. If you're trying to get twenty dollars worth of magic cards out of this box, you will. If you're, you know, one of those guys, it's like you buy the stuff just to flip it, get the most value out of it. You want to find legacy cards, vintage cards, you know, sweet swords of plowshares, new artwork in them. You're not going to find them this time around. It's definitely a, a weaker product. It's still, I, I, it looks like it could be fun. I'm definitely going to have to take a shot, and the artwork is really great. F&M Deck of the Week. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Control, and uh, I used to play Blue-White in the last couple of seasons before all this Stoneforge mysticking started happening, and I'm pretty excited to find a pretty good Blue-White list here for, for uh, Control players out there looking to kind of scratch the itch they have for that. Uh, you know, you still have to play pretty much the old Squadron Hawk, Stoneforge Mystic, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Sword of Feast and Famine kind of uh, package. I mean, there's so much card advantage and it's so much value that it seems stupid not to play those cards. But at least you get to play your Gideon Juras, your Day of Judgments, your Mana Leaks, your Spell Pierces, even your Misers Deprive. Um, there's definitely more of the control elements in this list than you're going to find in a lot of the blue-white Cobblade kind of tempo decks. Uh, and again, you're still getting to run Day of Judgment to get around the pesky Bane Slayer issue, kill those primeval titans. Um, and you know, you even get to play sweet stuff like Volition Reigns out of the sideboard. So this, this list is, uh, is pretty exciting to me. And anyone that needs their control fix and wants to go back to Blue White, because I still think Blue White might be a little bit better than Blue Black, although it's still pretty on the fence with everybody out there. This is, this is my list for you this week. Well, that's gonna be interesting. The card, again, that we're starting to see in there, Mortipod is being a consistent player in the deck. Um, you got to have it. If you're not playing uh, you know, red or black for more spot removal, it's one of those cards you, you really want to have access to. That and the, the common that's got to be shooting up in price, and that's Tumble Magnet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of always been lingering out there. Um, even before Worlds, try to protect your Planeswalkers, try to make sure the rug decks kind of you know, got to their goals without losing their Jaces or getting killed or... Um, you know, Valakut decks, making sure they don't get hit down, you know, dead enough before they kind of go off. But um, it seems like kind of the one of the one of the standard tools right now in order to not be Stoneforge into sword into a into attack you and pillage you scenarios. Well, we have five up and five down now. Yes, we do. Now, again, I know you like this segment, so I'll, I'll let you kind of direct flow of traffic here. Let's go up first this time. We have caught the hammer. You know, he's finally seeing more action. Uh, for those of you that watched Luis's Gauntlet segment this week, saw him playing three of the main deck in his Boros list uh, as a great example of this card making a comeback. He's, you know, not only in the uh, Boros list, you're also going to find him in Big Red lists, you're going to find him in Valakut lists, you might even find him in some awkward control lists. I know people out there are trying to make the, the Jason Koth connection as many times as they can. But all those things coming together... He's finally seeing some action like I always hoped he would, he's, and he's in good decks, which is a big key. So he's back on the way out of the cellar as far as Planeswalkers go, back up in value. There's another deck that I saw ran on uh, Tezzeret the Mind Hammer, where it has Tezzeret, Jace, and Koth. Koth, all in the same list. Yes. That it's, seems really awkward, but hey, you know, if it can happen. I mean, there's the, the uh, white-based super best friends, so I'm sure... I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I forgot where it finished. A unique deck that has some possibility. I'm sure it has to just be refined a little bit, but hey, you need another home for Hammer. Speaking of a card that I, I still don't know how this card keeps going up, is there a, is there a ceiling to Squadron Hawk? Oh, of course there's a ceiling to Squadron It's only a common. Um, I just think it's a lot of people are finally realizing that this card isn't just a, a run-of-the-mill common card. I've, I've been to too many F&Ms where there's players running around, two Squadron Ox, two Squadron Ox, I need, I need two, I need three, can I, can I run two? I can't run two, I need two, I need, I gotta play, I'm just gonna play Wall of Omens. I don't have enough of them, I'm just gonna play Wall of Omens. Uh, you know, this, this card 
Sure, it started as a dime, as a lot of commons do. Sure, it's a solid quarter because you need four of it. You're going to play a lot of it. Uh, it's 50 cents today. You know, don't throw them away. Make sure you salvage them at uh, all your deck builder toolkits and everything else you open. Hold on to them. You know, your local stores probably want these cards. And and who knows? Depending on how much longer this season goes and how much standard gets played, these birds, they could be dollar birds. I'm, I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow, but it's simply something that could happen. Not surprisingly, the next two cards, they kind of go hand-in-hand hand with one another. Uh, Creeping Tarpid and Dark Slip Shores. Uh, yes, you know, it's really, you know, this is kind of a two-fold attack is really what's caused these cards to go up in value in a, uh, one more time. We're talking about the resurgence of blue-black uh, results from Barcelona have gone a long way in um, affecting the price of these cards. And in addition to that, you're looking at uh, Cobblade with Black, the more popular version, the Esper-esque version that's been popularized by Jerry T. You're going to want these dual lands to make sure that you have access to, obviously, all colors of mana at the appropriate times, and the blue-white ones, you know, you could make a case for the Esper deck. You know, why aren't they going up? Or blue-white in general. I think that they're already up in value, as where the blue-black lands have kind of dipped in value post-worlds where blue-black control wasn't necessarily a a uh, forefront deck. You're now seeing it come back in its own right, and you're seeing blue-black being played in conjunction with the card advantage cards of white. So those lands are back on the up. I think they're like between five and seven apiece on both the... Actually, no, Dark Slick is probably like four to seven. If you can get it for four, definitely go for it. And Creeping Tarpet's more like a six to eight range right now. And I can think of times not too long ago they were not, now three quarters of that price, you know, for sure. So can we now say that Brian Kibler's had his hand on two of the cards in the top, and you're five up and five down? <laughs> Squadron Hawks, and now... Uh, you know, everybody, everybody loves... Scatherix of Blight Dragon. Everyone wants their hasty, uh, he's not quite an 8-4. I guess he's more like a, yeah, I guess an 8-4 works. He, you know, uh, poison is real. And as we always, we kind of knew it would be. Uh, obviously Brian went a long way into making the deck in everyone's face. And Scatherix is the over-the-top card. It's the big card. It's the, um, not overly costed, has evasion, can get in there and you know with haste. It's not like the kind of clunky Phyrexian Hydras or you know the green components. Uh, and he's the only one who's mythic rare, which actually goes a long way in defining how he kind of has extra value today. I mean, a lot of poison cards can slowly creep up in value because all of a sudden they're a deck. I mean, you can think of a lot like vampires, where the vampires cards became worth more value slowly as the deck became more competitive before it kind of hit big. But there were no mythic rares, and in in like sure, like demons, like Deathgate was in the sideboard, but the vampire cards themselves were all rare. Uh, the difference with the Infect deck is that Skitterix is mythic, so his value went from like eight to eleven overnight, and there's obviously room for growth if this deck was become more competitive. Well, I'm happy to see that because I've said numerous times I am a Poison fan. Dave, it was nice to see it actually, you know, make a top eight. But we have five down, including one that. The kind of shocks me in general, and that's uh, Titans in general going down. Titans in general going down. Uh, with the news of their impending reprinting in Magic 2012, and the fact that three-fifths of the cycle are going to be promo cards in different varieties uh, in the coming year, it makes a lot of people hesitant on these cards. As much as they are considered playable, as much as people should be happy to know that they're going to be in standard for another year, uh, I think a lot of people are afraid of kind of the Bane Slayer effect, uh, or they're you know thinking that the the market is going to be saturated in a lot of these cards due to uh, promo printings. And, like cards like Nissa Ravain suffered a lot in value because of the fact that they were handed out as uh, promos quite easily. So Frost, Graven, and Inferno Titan are promos in the coming year for different platforms for Duel of Planeswalkers, which of course ties into uh, the core set for 2012. Yeah, so people are hesitant, I mean, to say the least. I think that it, a lot of it's, you know, speculation more than it's just, like, these cards are bad. Um, you know, no one wants to get stuck with one day they have $35 Baneslayer Angels, the next day they have $10 Baneslayer Angels. No one wants to have, you know, $35 Primeval Titans, and the next day have $10 Primeval Titans. So, you know, again, like, another great example is Grave Titan had a, a great weekend last weekend with Barcelona, uh, it's having results again back on Magic Gathering Online, and yet the value of the card has stayed flat uh, as of today. So a lot, of, like I said, a lot of people just they aren't 
you know, too stoked to be picking up these cards. It's, it's kind of a, it's kind of that weird thing where it's like, I remember when M11 was being spoiled a year ago, and everyone's like, well, is it better for the Bingslayer Angel if it's in the set, or is it better if it's not in the set? Because it's like, well, it's in standard again for another year, so that's got to be good and keep the value high. Or it's like, well, now it's going to be printed twice as much, so there's twice as many out there, so are mine worth as much? But if it's not playable in standard, does that mean it's worth as much? It's, it's, this, it's this kind of awkward game. So Titans are on their way down right now, which means uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a good time to pick up if you think they're going to be just as competitive in the year to come. Uh, and you're going to want to make sure you have a nice stockpile to unload at their new high prices when uh, the new flock of decks gets gets uh, released. I think this is kind of a more of a personal choice thing for people if they if they you know follow the trend, want to dump them on their way down before they hit rock bottom, or if they're going to kind of back the Titans and think that they're going to be worth a lot in constructed in the year to come. Well, the one Titan you didn't talk about is another one you have going down. That's Primeval. Oh, geez, I didn't realize I put them on this list twice. I didn't mean to. But Primeval Titan is taking kind of a separate hit right now just from, again, the uh, the lack of love for the Valakut. I, I always kind of assumed that the MTGO players would really bring the Valakut decks and standard back to the forefront, um, but it seems to not have as much of an impact on the um, cardboard metagame as I thought it was. And, again, he slowly dipped from the M11 pedestal he was on. I mean, we can all remember the days when he was $50 a piece, and now I'm definitely seeing days where he's 30 a piece back on the way down. I think I'm on the website. As of today, we're selling him for $29.99, and that is in no way the ceiling for this card, and not at all the trend it's been taking recently. We have Awakening Zone. <laughs> yeah, this card actually made me laugh when I was looking at it earlier. It's kind of um, unassumedly falling completely off the map. I remember when Rise of the Eldrazi first came out, and... Uh, Awakening Zone was in a pre-con, which meant that it had a capped value because you could just break pre-cons to get them. It couldn't really go above 650, and for quite a while it saved the $6 area. And slowly but surely, as you know, Polymorph disappeared, Mass Polymorph wasn't really a deck, Eldrazi Green didn't really want this card. There wasn't a, <clears throat> I think there was the uh, Eldrazi Monument token strategy briefly, but this wasn't even necessarily a good card for that deck. You know, all these kind of factors slowly led to Awakening Zone trickling down in value, and now it's really just bottomed out. Um, you're looking at a card that's sub $2, and there's no reason to see any kind of change in that anytime soon. So I think the the best idea is to trade these away to any kid that wants to still play with this card. Eldrazi Temple? Kind of in a similar vein. Eldrazi Temple is the Valakut that could, in a way, and for a time it did, and now it doesn't. Eldrazi Green is not really a deck at all. I mean, you had access to all his dust as opposed to Pyroclasm and Lightning Bolt and Inferno Titan and all these better cards that the Red Ramp decks just had better. Um, and it's kind of had its heyday. I mean, you're, you're cheating Eldrazi into play. You're getting him in in other fashions. You're just not doing it by having a land that produces two colors instead of one these days. So this card is following a similar fate of Awakening Zone. It just has, uh, it, its value pinches a lot more on a particular deck, archetype, or subset of cards, and they're just not showing up. So we're looking at a card that's sub $3 right now and continue to go, can continue to go down. The card that you have going down last, which is interesting to me because I think after our cycle of Jace the Mind Sculptor goes away, that group, I think this could, again, that's Tezzeret. You know, I, I've definitely mentioned on this podcast before that I think that Tezzeret is one of those long-term losers. Uh, I'm really surprised that its value has been sustained as long as it has. Now, we did mention there was a, a Tezzeret deck of some variety in the top eight at the LA event recently, correct? Yeah, somebody mentioned that to you. So, uh, you know, as where I thought that Tezzeret, the the card in standard right now, really wasn't getting it done. It didn't really... I mean, we, you, you did talk about the... Uh, the Legion of Doom deck, as I'll, as I'll refer to it now, as the the Jason Mind Sculptor, Koth, the Hammer, and Tetherite Agent of Bullets deck runs this card. It just seems, in all the versions and variants that I've seen that kind of hinge on Tetherite, that it's just too narrow, and it just doesn't do enough. And the more artifacts become prevalent in Standard, which seems to be just obvious, obviously as more sets get released that are mirrored and based, and looking at a new Standard environment even further out where you're not going to have access to Zendikar Block, 
main deck artifact destruction could be something that you're going to see quite readily. You're already seeing the equipment decks running tumble magnets. So now it's like, all right, well, the decks that were just running a couple of swords and maybe a mortar pod are now running a couple of swords, a mortar pod, and maybe some number of um, tumble magnets, maybe some number of uh, everflowing chalices, maybe another basilisk scholar. Like, you're slowly creeping towards more artifact cards being the standard environment. And Tezzeret's kind of a, a combo piece player, and he right now works best when he's unadulterated and doesn't get his stuff blown up or isn't hindered in the process of doing what he's supposed to do. So it, it just it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like he's going to be competitive in the near future. And it seems like that when things shift to possibly make him competitive, there's going to be a lot of hate for him. So I really my 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 thought a while ago when I said he's a long term down is still that way. But in the short term, you've also seen that. You've seen him dip down to, you know, sub $45 right now, and I think that's a trend that will continue. I just find it interesting considering the untapped potential of that card. That's why cards go down. Not everybody can find a way to break it. I mean, they tried at Worlds, and every time it doesn't always work. But we have a coupon this week. We do have a coupon this week. In honor of Knights vs. Dragons, your coupon this week is Dragon. Uh, when used, when you order Knights vs. Uh, Dragons singles from ChannelFireball.com, your shipping will be free. Again, any order that contains Knights vs. Dragons singles cards, uh, we have all the singles listed on the website at the best prices you can find around. Again, if you don't want to just get the dual deck, but instead get those sweet new artwork seating songs, or Silver Knights, or Punishing Fires, or Knight of the Relicaries, or Brigarden Hellkites, definitely stop by the site, pick up all of those singles, and then your coupon checkout code is DRAGON to get free shipping on those singles. Yeah, I really like the Night of the World Quarry art. It's kind of Lorwyn-era-esque. I think the people I know are pretty polarized on it. They're either very into the, that style, or they're very, like, oh, it's so cartoony. It doesn't, it's not at all like the old one. I don't like it. And they, they either really are into it or really not into it. I, I'm one of those people that... I don't think the original artwork was spectacular, but I'm not big on the Lorwyn-esque cartoons, so I'm definitely sticking with my old copies. Well, is there anything else we need to add to this week's show? Kind of an off week. I mean, we're all, you know, I I know right now we're all kind of prepping for uh, Dallas, which is probably where we'll be casting from next week. Uh, It should be interesting to figure out exactly how we do that, because we will both be there. But um, I, I know the team is preparing for that, but that's all I know. I do have one question for you. Now that LSV has been doing the Gauntlet series before the next GP, the Legacy one, will he be doing the Gauntlet of Legacy? For, for starters, emails like that should definitely be sent to lsv at channelfireball.com <laughs> for whatever you want to Gauntlet up. Bigger questions are, is Legacy on I'm close enough to this Legacy in, Legacy in real life that you would be able to test it? Uh, I think uh, there are definitely two sides to that argument. I'm sure Luis would have fun doing it and probably could do it. Uh, we just need to be enough of a priority for him. Uh, it seems like we're actually, you know, as far as, like, pro terms go, uh, I think uh, Providence is an eternity away, and he hasn't even started to think about it at all. So uh, maybe in a couple weeks it will be a better question to pose to him. But right now it's uh, all standard all the time leading up to Dallas. Well, absolutely, and you can't ask for anything more than that. It's interesting looking forward to hearing what the team is going to start working on, the next step of the the preparation for Dallas now that you have you know, Matt Sperling and Yu-Yu and Paul Reitzel. What are they now going to bring to the team to determine what the team deck might be? I'm sure there have been a great many emails traded. I'm sure there have been... Uh some uh, magic online close to viewer matches that have happened between the team recently. Sure, there have been a lot of IM sessions between uh, Luis and various team members and various team members alike. This is actually, it's interesting. Luis, Luis tests. He does a fair amount of testing. But it seems like for this event, he has more or less been at work doing standard matchups that have been kind of doubling as a considerable amount of testing. So I think that, you know, although I have not heard it from 
the Luis Scott Vargas's mouth as it is, but I definitely, knowing him, it feels like this is, would be an event he is very prepared for. So are you going on a limb there by making a prediction for him to do well at GP? <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? Are you already pre-hinting on the fact that, you know, we could be seeing an LSV top eight? I, you know, I'm not, not so bold, but uh, I definitely will think that there will be a very strong showing from Team Fireball at uh, GP Dallas. I think the team is working really well right now together. That means you're going to see results. I mean, it might not be Luis himself. It might be somebody close by, but I definitely think Team Fireball is going to have a good showing. I mean, I, I don't want to, like, guarantee you'll see at least one member in top eight, but I'm pretty confident. Considering you're going to have, what, anywhere from twelve to 1,500 people there? I know. Shoot for the fences. Let's get more than that. Let's say, you know, say fifteen hundred domestic Grand Prix for a, a you know one of the most accessible formats at a centralized location in a in a great Magic uh, state. Come on, let's let's shoot big here. Fifteen hundred are great. And Paulo's going to be there. Ah, yeah. It's like, again, it's like one of the closest places for him to go. You know, Brazil, Texas. It's like their backyard. Did you did you hear his plane flight schedule though? Uh no, no. Is he like coming in on a bi wing into Florida or something and then taking yeah. a swamp buggy over? He has to fly from Brazil to New York to Texas. That's a little awkward. Yes. Exactly. But he saved like fifty bucks. <laughs> I'm sure he did, and the seven additional hours that he has on his plane flight, I'm sure he'll absolutely love. But, uh, yeah, on that note, is the guys are going to be preparing and testing. Uh, Just like we'll be preparing every in every other facet. It's, it's, good. It's, it's a big week at the office. It's a big week for the guys getting ready. I'll be there. You'll be there. Find us if we don't get a cast out to the masses before then. Because, again, Thursday night, I will hopefully be at the Dallas Stars game, and you will be diligently en route to the hotel. Absolutely. Um, and our, at our normal time. But we will make it happen. If it, if it means casting live from the show floor Friday morning and bringing you everything even more up-to-date, I'd hate to have to do that. But we'll figure something out. So are we going to tease the masses of what we're going to be doing down there at uh, GP Dallas? That is a very awkward term, teasing the masses. I don't really like to do that. I will say that Shell Fireball will be doing coverage from the event. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to pass the microphone torch off officially to our own Robert Martin because I got I got too many cards to buy. I'm too I'm too deep in the market right now. I can't I can't not buy. So all of the hard hitting questions, all of the deck techs you so desperately want to see, my co host will be taken care of from from Team Fireball and beyond at GP Dallas. Are you excited? Absolutely. We are gonna try definitely to get as many people on there as possible to get as many people that may not be as well-known, but have some kind of unusual deck that's doing well. I'm really hoping that in day one there's someone that's 5-0, that might be playing something unique, uh, maybe even a Cadolpa Forge Master deck, or so- something different that the people aren't going to see to be able to grab them, pull them aside, give them five minutes that they may not get, and go from there. I mean, it works, you know, b- building new people and making more faces known only helps the community as a whole. I do think this is a good opportunity to say that, you know, now that everyone knows that Robert will be doing the interviews, he'll be talking to everybody out there. Start sending him your questions, the stuff you want to know, your ideas for what he should talk about when he's in Dallas. Uh, and where should those emails be sent, Robert? Robert at ChannelFireball.com. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. I expect you to just fill the brim to the cup. I, I, I don't want any moment of... Robert's time being like, ah, I'm out of questions. I don't know everything I know about these guys. I'm going to nap in the hotel room while I'm slaving away buying very precious daring apprentices that we desperately need from people. So, Also, yeah. we will be interviewing the main members of the Channel Fireball team, as many as we can get in there. So if you have specific questions you would like them to ask that fall into the range of what we're trying to ask them, please feel free again to send an email to Robert at ChannelFireball.com. Be more than glad to, you know, ask them if they fall into the format that we're looking to do. All right. I endorse it. Uh, you can find me, uh, TSG at ChannelFireball.com. Direct all your questions, comment, concerns, hate mail, 
um, wondering why things are the way they are there. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Tristan Gregson and uh, no Magic TV this week. Sad face. Luis was too busy having his vacation to bother to come and do a show. So you're gonna have to deal with to an hour of my audio and no Luis on camera this week unless you saw his warm video. And that right there is well worth not having him on Magic TV this week. Well, well, I see, I see how it is. It has, right. to, it has to be. You should do. It should put up. You should just put it up on the website. You should just link it in the show notes. There you go. Bam. <laughs> back off my plate. Back onto yours. <laughs> it was priceless and not surprising the people involved with it. <laughs> yes, yes. For those of you who are familiar with Connolly versus the salsa bottle, Connolly versus the hot wings. And uh, I don't know if Luis has had any major hits on the web. He's usually much more reserved. Well, actually, no. Uh, web versus the burrito. That's also a good one. You'll now you'll now be familiar with Luis Scott Vargas, the worm. The one thing I give Luis a lot of credit for is he was willing to put it up as on his own Facebook site. So I'm sure that was, I'm sure that was part of the deal. So you know he's not too <laughs> bothered by it. I just think it's funny that he that he enjoys it that much, and it just shows the family that the, the guys are together. Definitely. I call it an unusual family, but you know what I'm saying. It's a, it's a Gabe Walls-driven prop betting wonderland that will always bring you the funniest things that guys with smartphones can bring you. Well, on that note, for Robert Martin and for And Chris- myself, Tristan Sean Gregson, I think we're signing out. I don't know how that works on this place, but that's what we're doing. All right, thanks again for listening, everybody, and hopefully we will be able to put something together for next week. Like we said, how we managed to do it, we will figure it out. On that note, for Hardcast, we are signing out. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.